It's the Adam Crowley Show. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. It is debate day! 7.30, Tequila Cowboy, me, Stan, Madden, Benz, Pursuta, alcohol, be there. Now I'm going to get drunk. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Apparently Madden's been using this debate as content. He called me out, said that nobody's going to show up to see me. He then went on to say I'm a good young host. Second part's true. I know my army of snowflakes will be there. Dressed in white, cheering for me. I'm going to be the champ. I know how to debate. I also know that I'm not going to give a rip once I get up there, which means bad words are going to come out of my mouth. I'm going to say terrible things about Tim Benz's mom. I'm going to call out Mike Pursuta's bad hip. I'm not going to pull any punches except for Stan one because he's a gentle giant and two sometimes when you poke the gentle giant you get bitch slapped and I'm okay with getting bitch slapped by Ben's I'm okay with getting bitch slapped by any of the other people up there but you get dunked on by the old man it's gonna hurt four one two nine two 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 eight seven four Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. It is my Friday, which means that I'm off the next two days. I will be watching college basketball, eating pizza, and getting drunk. I gained most of my weight from the beginning of the year until the end of March Madness. Because every time I try to diet, something comes up. You got football. You got the Super Bowl. You got March Madness. You got the hockey playoffs beginning. I just drink when all those things happen. And you eat like a monster. It's not good for me. But that's what I'll be doing the next couple of days, so you're not going to hear from me. So I've got to get all my takes in today. I've got to get everything out. I've got to get you all the information you need in your bracket or otherwise. And one of the ways we've decided to do this, my intrepid producer Tom Offerman and I said, we need the questions for the debate. Let's do a little primer. Let me practice for what I'm going to say during this great Pittsburgh sports debate tonight. You can know the questions. You don't know what Stan's going to say. You don't know what Ben's is going to say. You don't know what Pursuit is going to say. If Tom just asks me the questions, I'll give you my answers now. And then you can get the debate portion later. It's like a pregame show to the great Pittsburgh sports debate. The other reason we did this is because I'm lazy and prepared absolutely nothing for the show. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. In fact, you don't even know if this hour's taped or not. You don't even know if I'm live. I'm live, though. Jesse Marshall's calling in. Coming up in 16 minutes on the Crowley Show. We'll be talking to him about the Penguins-Rangers tonight, which will be on at Tequila Cowboy, or at better. Uh, What kind of planning is that? Tequila Cowboy opens their doors, but on the night of a Penguin game? So whatever I'm talking about hockey-wise is going to be dated by the time it comes out of my mouth. I can be talking about how Daniel Broussard 
His name is Derek, and he stinks tonight. And then he could score a goal. You never know. All right, Tom, hit me with the first of the great Pittsburgh sports debate questions. I'm ready to rock. Now, are you, you ready? Doing, are you doing these randomly? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of pick them out of the hat here. Okay, let's do it. Babe. Are you ready? You yeah. ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Mm. It's debate time, everybody, and let's start here. Adam, as everybody knows, you host the post-game show for the Steelers after every single game. Yeah. My question to you, Le'Veon Bell, franchised again, missing OTAs, probably missing camp, said he was going to be there for week one, but then he later said he might not be there till week four. Who's right in this standoff? The Steelers with their 13.3 mil offer, or Le'Veon Bell holding out for what he thinks he's worth? I think the music was too loud. I think it overpowered your question. I wanted it to, though. It's oh. a very overpowering question. Oh, okay. Don't please don't respond to the proctor like that. Just I'm sorry. Questions. I'm sorry. Thank you. Is there a time limit on this? No, you can. I can the just floor go. Is yours. I can vacillate. On. Okay, I'm going to expound. I don't think anybody's to blame. I don't think the Steelers are to blame for offering Le'Veon Bell just over thirteen million dollars. It's a hell of a lot of money, more than any running back in football is making. I don't think that Le'Veon Bell is wrong for wanting to be paid more than any running back in the National Football League. And then you consider his draft slot. In 2014, there are 15 players being paid $14.5 million to $16.5 million. From that draft class alone, Le'Veon Bell, not one of them. If you go year by year, and you talk about the money that a player is going to make in that given year, Le'Veon Bell is now, what, the 50th highest paid player in the National Football League, according to our friend Dale Lollick? Le'Veon Bell wants to be valued, and he wants to be valued what he feels like he's valued. Now, can the Steelers pay that? Absolutely not. That's why they're not wrong. But Le'Veon's not wrong either, because somebody could pay it. The Browns could pay it. If he was out there on the open market, at least one team would pay it. So that is his value. It's just not his value with the Steelers. Therefore... Neither the Steelers are wrong, nor Le'Veon Bell's wrong. Bam! That's how you debate! Is there another part to that question, or did I nail it all? No, that was it. Is that, nah, is that the it. rest of your answer? I crushed it, yeah. All right, Adam. Let's switch things up to the Penguins now. This Penn's defense, man. It's in trouble. They're down to seven available for the rest of the season and the playoffs. And there's no one coming from Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Was it a mistake to trade Ian Cole? Or was getting Derek Broussard worth leaving the defense a bit shallow? Great question, Proctor. Fabulous job by you. Solid reading. Maybe you should host tonight instead of Bob McLaughlin, who did put the questions together. Yeah, you don't have to even think. You just get to read them. Makes it easier for you. No, the Penguins didn't make a mistake going out and signing Derek Broussard. Trading for. Not a mistake at all. Last year, didn't the Penguins win the Stanley Cup without Chris Letang? If you won the Stanley Cup without Chris Letang, you can win the Stanley Cup with Ian Cole not in the lineup. You can win the Stanley Cup with this Penguins defense core. Since Chad Ruedel has flexed into the lineup, they've been much better. I like him on that bottom pair with Ole Mata. I think the Penguins have spread themselves out well enough now that they can have a good defenseman on every single line. Chad Ruedel's going to play within himself. They're going to be fine on that defensive side. And we saw against Dallas, the forwards came back and helped. They put the puck in the right spots. They played away. They played well away from the puck. If the forwards do that and they score goals at the clip that they're scoring goals at, it does not matter if the defense is a little bit porous. Not to mention, 
Crystal Tang's going to play 30 minutes a game. You're really going to only play your top four for most of the time. So the Penguins are okay. If an injury happens, eh, it's going to suck. But no injury that they're going to face is going to be like the injury that they faced last year with Chris Letang going down. Unless, of course, Chris Letang goes down. How's that one, Tom? You don't have to ask me about your answers. Just give your answer, and then I'll score them accordingly. Well, you haven't scored the first one yet. I'll give that one about 50 points. Okay. You were tabulating it while I was giving the second answer? Yes. So you weren't paying attention to my second answer? No, the second answer got 100 points. Yeah, second answer was just fire. Straight fire. All right, this will be our first question relating to the Pirates. Adam, love the show, Mm. but a whole lot of people in Pittsburgh don't love baseball right now. Should Pirate fans support their team by going to games this season or buying into the brand, or are they just aiding and abetting Nutting's plan of making the most money he can regardless of the product? on the field here's what pirate fans don't know it's that bob nutting no matter what the attendance is is going to come out on top in terms of making money if the pirates attendance is bad he's not going to put the money into the team and he's still going to come out ahead as it relates to the bottom line so by not showing up that's what i'd do you're hurting them to an extent but i think you ultimately will affect the product in the field at least a little bit i'm an indians fan now though man I'm rooting for the Windians because that's a team that puts money into the team as opposed to just pocketing the money like we all know Bob Nutting does. The Indians went out and they added some pieces the last couple of years. They got Jay Bruce. They got Edwin Encarnacion. They got Miller, that fabulous reliever. And they almost won the World Series when they were banged up. They would have won the World Series. They were up three games to one had they been healthy. Didn't happen. Then they went out and they tried to strengthen their club. What do you see the Philadelphia Eagles doing right now? They've got a great defensive line. They've already added a couple of defensive line pieces. Why? Because even whenever you're at the pinnacle or you're close to the pinnacle, you can still get better. You can still add to your team. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, they never, ever, ever effing do that, ever. So I would not go to the Pirates games this year. I would not show up for opening day. Most of you are starting to get that message. It's a Pirates mutiny. F them. They're not even worth watching on TV, and maybe that's where you could hurt them. The AT&T Sportsnet does a good job, like the guys they have calling the game. Love Stan. Love Rob King. Good people. Fine people. They're tremendous people. But don't watch. Hurt the Pirates at the gate. Hurt the Pirates' TV ratings. And say F you. Let them know that for once, Pittsburgh Ain't going to put up with the shenanigan. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Andrew does. Yes, this question. Will a Pittsburgh debate be live on Facebook? Absolutely, it will not be. Because here's the deal, Andrew. I'm going to say bad words. Not a lot of bad words. I think that there are two areas I can improve upon from last year's great Pittsburgh sports debate, Tom. A, not drink as much. Because I peed like 15 times and I had to, had to kept leaving the stage to go pee. That's a bad look. Then there was like 15 bottles around where I was sitting. Eh, not a great look. And two, I got to not say the F word as much as I did last year. 
I was the drunk guy saying the F word every other word. And I think part of the charm for these things is we can just be ourselves. And that is me, but it might be a little too me for that setting. But that's why it's not going to be on Facebook. Last year, I said Ron Cook's head looked like a testicle or something like that. No offense to Crook. Maybe this year I'll say something about phony. But we don't want these things getting out there. It's only going to get us in trouble. Braden tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. You're going to wipe the floor with everyone. You're a master debater. You're damn right I'm a master debater. I'm a master of my own domain. And I've already got the questions. We know them. And I'm rehearsing right now for all to hear on the Crowley Show. You ready for another one? Oh, daddy. Let's hit it. Oh, daddy. Adam. It's no secret that the Steelers had one of the league's most prolific offenses this season with Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator. But newsflash, he's gone. He's in Cleveland now. Good move, bad move, letting Todd Haley walk out the door. You do what your franchise quarterback wants you to do. Ben Roethlisberger has said and now has told ownership and the general manager in the front office, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that he wants to be around for at least three more years for the remainder of his contract. I wonder if he'd want to be around if Todd Haley were there. You do what you can to make the quarterback happy. Last year, he said on that show with Crook and Phony, I think I might retire here. Now the offensive coordinator gets let go. He walks out the door. Contract, not re-up. And all of a sudden... Ben Roethlisberger is like, yeah, sign me up for three more. That's all you got to know. Hell yeah. Hell to the yeah. That was a good move. I think they needed to get rid of one coordinator. Keith Butler has seen the defense improve every year, but they regressed at the end of the year after Ryan Shazier got hurt. But you're not going to fire both. And if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't want the offensive coordinator, you get rid of that guy. Keep the defensive coordinator. Keep some level of continuity, right move to do exactly what they did. I'll give you like 800 points for that. It's pretty solid. Oh, pretty solid stuff. Man, it's even better than the last one. I think we got time to squeeze in one more before the break. You think so? I think so. All right, squeeze it in. So let's squeeze this one squeeze in Squeeze it in, Daddy. We'll go with Tit, everyone's favorite darling in town. What is, this is a multiple choice question, by the way. Oh. What is the biggest Pitt athletics blunder of the past 10 years? No. Oh. Firing wants that. Letting Dixon go, or the whole hiring and firing Kevin Stallings? That's a really good question because the last two really brings up a philosophical internal struggle that I've had. I think Jamie Dixon's a hell of a coach. Hell, he took an awful program. Awful, 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 awful program in TCU. Made them NIT champs last year. Now they're a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. First time they've been there since the 80s. So he's a damn good coach. Things were a little stale. I don't mind so much them letting him walk. I wouldn't have done it, but I don't mind it. But Kevin Stallings being the guy that you hire, that's a disaster. And that's all on Scott Barnes. So I think that's been the bigger F-up. Because this was a program that went to the NCAA tournament in Jamie Dixon's last year. You just needed to get someone competent, and they'd have been fine. Stallings, not competent. They F'd that up, Scott Barnes. So your answer is Stallings? The hiring and firing of Kevin Stallings? I think I made that pretty clear. Well, it's wrong. It's the firing of Dave Wonstadt. So Mm. no points. Damn it. 
So I think I got 950 thus far. I think so. Around there. I'm rolling, baby. Let's see if he can break 1,000. Up next, maybe we'll take this call. And we got Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. Should we ask him to bake questions? We shall see. It's the Crowley Show. He's Pittsburgh-born, and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Cinderella boy. On 970 ESPN, and now on 106.3 FM. Tonight's the night, great Pittsburgh sports debate. I need all my snowflakes out in full force, baby. We got to make that a hostile place to play for Mark Madden and Stan Saverin and Tim Benz and Mike Pursuta. I need that place rocking. Pretty sure my mom's going too, which is kind of weird. Bet you nobody else will have their mom there. My mom still thinks because I'm somewhat new to radio that it's like me playing in a soccer game. Or like a chorus concert. But it's my job. I also have Tom and Joe squirting water into my mouth between segments. Wiping me down. Kind of sounded dirty. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joins me now here on The Crowley Show. Hello, Jesse. How are you? Is Tom getting a raise for this? No, of course not. This is just what ah. Tom has to do. This is... Yeah, this is just... Yeah, it's in Tom his description. Straw, I guess. Just through the short straw. Yeah, Tom, would you rather wipe me down or squirt it in my mouth? Both. At the same time. Okay, very good. Jesse Marshall, The Athletic, joining me here on The Crowley Show. Uh, Jesse, Alexander Ovechkin scored his 600th goal the other day, and I don't think he gets the respect he deserves because, oh, he doesn't have any cups, and oh, he never gets past the second round. But how do you rank him among current players for the career that he's had? And I, I feel like you'll give him the respect he deserves. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't care what you want to do as far as era adjusting stats or, like, you want to pretend Ovechkin played in the 80s, you want to pretend that Lemieux and Gretzky played in the 2000s. That doesn't matter to me. Guy's got 600 goals. He's, he, we have watched, collectively, the hockey community, we have watched Alex Ovechkin be the greatest goal scorer of the modern hockey era, uncontested no two ways about it. You can hate him as a player. You can think he's dirty. You can remember his knee on Gonchar. You can hate the Capitals. I encourage that stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> fine. That's what, that's what being a fan is all about. Uh, but I think you've got to separate it and, and really look at it and say, like, my goodness, this is still a player that kind of makes you sit on the edge of your seat every time he comes yes. rushing down the wing. Still makes you sit on the edge of your seat when he's sitting in that circle in the power play. Um, you know, he... I think paved the way for a lot of guys to come through this league, like Patrick Line, where their game is just about what they can do with their shot, what they can do with that flex. Um, and and there's a role for guys like that now. I think a different role for guys like that based on Alex Ovechkin's success. So, yeah, I mean, modern best best scorer of our generation as far as pure goals is concerned. He scored 65 goals in a season. It's just yeah. mind-boggling that that guy could do that, that anybody could do that. Now, whenever you think about the new quote-unquote dead puck era, it's just insane. Would you take Malkin over Ovechkin if you were building a team from scratch? No. No, okay. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, 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 I probably would have. I spent an inordinate amount of time, Adam, watching that, that. At the time, it wasn't called the KHL. It was called the Russian Super League. 
I spent an inordinate amount of – this is back when I did draft rankings like crazy, and I watched those two players, and I really thought Ovechkin was going to be the better of the two because of that goal-scoring prowess. But I think you have to give a nod, a nod to what Evgeny Malkin's done this year defensively. I think he's a more complete player than he was when he came into the league. I think his ability to create plays is on a level that Ovechkin will never be at. Uh, I think he's the perfect complement to a guy like Sidney Crosby. Uh, I think you could start a franchise with Evgeny Malkin. You, you don't need a Sidney Crosby. You could start a franchise with the guy, and he'd be just as well for it. So I personally would take Malkin. And I only say that because center is a totally different position than wing, and it's tough to turn down a guy that can score 65 goals. But if you look at, at what you need out of the center position to be a successful hockey club, if I was starting a franchise, I would go with that with the center over the wing any day of the week. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joining me here on The Crowley Show. I agree with all that. Uh, how much are the Capitals' failures his fault? Because I think a lot of that gets dumped on his shoulders, and he doesn't deserve all of it, certainly. Well, the well's dried up for him a couple times. I think you, you know, whether that's luck-based or whether that's just symptomatic of the team as a whole, it might be tough to parse that out. But there's definitely been portions of time where he's gone into a playoff series against the New York Rangers and come away empty-handed. And uh, anytime your star player, and this is true for Ovechkin, it's true for Patrick Kane, it's true for Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and it's true for every star player in this league. And you, if the well dries up for them in the playoffs, you're hard-pressed to win the series. So, you know, at the Capitals as a whole, their failures, I think, go well beyond just him. I think he took a lot of flack, especially last season, especially considering the injury he was playing with Adam. I mean, you remember saw the pictures on Twitter after that series was over. Uh, Ovechkin's hamstring was basically Mm -hmm. a a wet Kleenex. Uh, So, you know, I I don't put it all on his shoulders. I think the Capitals, I think their their quote-unquote all-in was never quite all-in enough. They made some really bad decisions, especially if you look at that Brooks Orpik contract. Can't blame Alex Ovechkin for that. Um, Yeah, I don't think all of their failures, failures are his fault, but I definitely think there have been playoff runs that left a little bit to be desired from him. Uh, but winning a Stanley Cup is a team thing. And I, I think that the Capitals made some poor decisions um, in their runs, and I, I think ultimately that affected everybody. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joining me here on the Crowley Show. That series between the two clubs in 2009, Jesse, to me was at everyone at the top of their game. Uh, they all were at the top of their powers, and it was just fabulous hockey to watch. Every time Alexander Ovechkin crossed the blue line, I just know that I wanted to throw up. And I think that's a compliment. Uh, he was just unbelievable. And I don't think he's as dynamic as he was then. It, it just, his whole style to me is just so fabulous to watch. Uh, the way he's kind of a choppy skater, the way he'll throw his body around. It's amazing to me that he's played 97% of his team's regular season games throughout the years. I, I don't understand how that's even possible. It's definitely changed for him because I think back to the goals he scored during the regular season in his first year and his second year where he was laying on the ice and, you know, turning his stick over his head on the ice to score goals from his backside. Uh, there was a little bit more of an explosive element. Yeah, that's a perfect word. They, they more dangerous on, on breakaways and stuff. I think you could look back at that and say, like, there was just something there. That's a product of youth. I mean, even Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see him doing those things anymore. He's 30 now. You know what I mean? He's in his 30s. It's not going to happen the way it used to happen. Uh, and Crosby and Ovechkin have evolved their games as necessary. Uh, but I think back to that series, the thing that will always stand out to me is that dueling hat trick game uh, and how the Penguins really had no business losing it. 
uh, Semyon Varlamov, although the fact that he did allow a significant amount of goals in that game actually stood on his head. Uh, and uh, that the back and forth between Crosby and Ovechkin in that series was just something to behold. And then that Game 7 annihilation uh, to this day will probably go down in history as uh, you know one of my favorite Game 7s to watch of all time. Marc-Andre Fleury got his 400th win the other day as well, Jesse. How do you look at his career? This is a nice time to kind of reflect on a couple of the of players that we've really grown up watching now. Well, I think Marc-Andre Fleury's career is really, I segment it into three sections. So I segment it, the first section is the section where the Penguins were just bad. They weren't good at all. And the only reason you went to, to Civic Arena or Mountain Arena at the time was to watch Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, I think back to his first game against the Los Angeles Kings where the poor guy just got absolutely assaulted and still walked out the first start of the game having allowed a couple goals because he stood on his head all night long. So, And then I think from there you you go into the Penguins winning the Cup in 2009. I think that's kind of where that era ends. He went through a lot of struggles after that. The middle portion of his career wasn't the greatest. Uh, Statistically speaking, it wasn't the greatest. He lost his job to Tomas Vokun. Uh, at one point in the Penguins' uh, run to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bruins. Um, but it, this last third has been really good. It's been really good. Starting with the playoff run uh, uh, last year, uh, go back to the Mike Johnston era and the transition between Johnston and Sullivan. The only reason the Penguins made the playoffs in 2016 was because of Marc-Andre Fleury. And now he's doing it with Vegas and an expansion team. So he's getting better with age. It almost seems... You know, to counterintuitive, but uh, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, this season for him is unequivocally, I think, the best season he's ever had and not really showing a whole lot of signs of slowing down. I know everybody, 400 wins is impressive, Adam. I don't care. It's a team stat, yes. It's a team stat. And Marc-Andre Fleury has not always had save percentages and, and, and averages that are in the top 10 of the league. But you don't win 400 games by accident. And, I, and, and again, a lot of those games he won – uh, in the hundreds, I would say, were when the Penguins were just a really bad hockey team. So don't take that away from him. And I get it, team stat, he's not responsible for all 400 of those wins. Uh, but he he definitely stole a bunch of them that he shouldn't have in those early years with the Penguins. Yeah, I always look at that the same way I look at longevity, Jesse. People knocked Jerome Bettis for getting into the Hall of Fame, and I kind of did too based on his statistics. But people said, well, he only racked up as many yards as he did because he played for so long. Well, yeah, but he played for so long because he was valued and they wanted him on their team. Marc-Andre Fleury won all those games because he was a goaltender capable of doing it. So I think knocking him for that is a little bit silly. Uh, Jesse, has Malkin ever played better? I know 2009, the playoffs, you're probably not going to ever top that. But uh, let's say aside from that, has he ever played better? Maybe a brief – okay, I'm going to say no. Because the answer I was going to give you was there was a brief stretch in the lockout shortened season where he was as unbeatable as he is now, but it didn't last as long. Um, it, it was more brief. So, yeah, it, this is it. Sergey Gonchar said – we asked him this question this week at The Athletic, and a guy who knows Malkin probably better than, than just about anybody, and his answer the same, was the same. He doesn't think so. Um, outside of that 2009 cup run, Probably hasn't seen him uh, this dominant uh, since that time. And, and you know, the longer this goes on, because, you know, really, I think when the heat turned up for him was right around the turn of the calendar year on January 1st, uh, and it hasn't stopped. So we're, we're now two months into this sort of reign of dominance uh, where he's accrued more points in 2018 
than most teams' top scorers for the season. <laughs> and that's just that's just absurd. I'm sorry. It's just crazy to me. Uh, and, and we're not getting any indication it's going to stop anytime soon. And, and this trio of Hagel and Malkin and, and Hornquist is just continuing to be almost unplayable at times. Why do they work so well together? Space. They create space. Uh, broke down a lot of video on The Athletic of this this week because you always hear that term, like what does it mean to create space? Uh, Mike Sullivan put this trio together because he wanted Evgeny Malkin to be the guy to take the initiative and to shoot. Uh, I think his goal was uh, completely realized when, when he put them together with, with Hagelin and, and Hornquist because those guys are, first of all, it's, it's really difficult to win loose puck battles against them because, A, they're so fast, right? But, B, they position themselves in the boards uh, one-on-one or, or even three-on-one. We had three-on-one video on the athletic of Hornquist going against three New York Rangers and coming out with the puck somehow. That shouldn't happen. Uh, that's not supposed to be the way that that works. Uh, and those two guys are just so good at playing down low that they they almost act like magnets, Adam. If you want to think of it this way, when they're when they're down low and they're doing the work in the front of the net and behind the net and in the corners, the defense is magnetized to them, right? You have to respect those guys that are a threat in the deep offensive zone. And, and when they get magnetized to Hornquist and Malk, or Hornquist and uh, and Hagelin, that leaves Evgeny Malkin open. And you would think any team with a brain is, is going to say, we have to protect 71. We have to keep 71 out of this. Uh, but once Hornquist and Hagelin get going, you know, that's where the focus shifts. The focus shifts that we got to win this puck battle first, and then we can worry about everything else. And, and they just don't allow you to do that. They don't allow you to pay attention to what's going on behind you and have your head on a swivel. It, it takes just about everything out of a defenseman to win a puck battle they're not the most skilled guys in the world. Uh, they're, they're not danglers. They're not elite, uh, you know, elite uh, puck movers. Uh, but they do the, the, the thankless jobs that, that create room for Evgeny Malkin to do the things that he's great at. Jesse, do you have faith in Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari? Jim Rutherford does, so I guess I do too. Um, I probably would have answered yes anyway. I think that what you're getting out of those two now is the, the hiccups you, know, you get the great performances, right? I mean, and even Casey DeSmith uh, just the other night was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, but you get the hiccups, right? You get the, the goals like the one against Jari and the New York Islanders two weeks ago. Um, I, I think they've got to get rid of those a little bit. I mean, they're going to come with playing time. You think about Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg, right? Connor Hellebuck, when he was in Winnipeg for the last couple of years, it took him a long time to get to this point where he is now the clear-cut number one uh, who's having an absolutely unbelievable season. I think, I think especially a guy like a Tristan Jari with that pedigree, they, they have that in them, both he and Casey DeSmith, but they're so young. You know, and, and in Pittsburgh, we're used to guys like Marc-Andre Fleury having success immediately, Matt Murray having success immediately. That's not the way it works for goalies. Uh, it's a long path to success more often than not, and uh, that's a path that both Jari and DeSmith are on right now, and I've, I've – the utmost space they'll get there, and I think by the time the playoffs come around, a lot of those those cobwebs and, and a lot of that rookie rust is going to be shaken off, and, and they'll be they're both capable of being good backups. Jesse, seven thirty tonight. Tequila Cowboy, come squirt water in my mouth. <laughs> I'm going to watch the Penguins Rangers game uh, from the comfort of my own home, and, and I only am going to do that, Adam, because I have the utmost space in Tom. That's a good answer. Goodbye, yeah. Jesse. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thank you. There he goes, Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. I love the way he signs off, by the way, every single time.
Very curt. Very economical. Very concise. Brevity, I've been told, is the soul of wit. Have still never really been able to master that. Coming up next, on the crap. Hottest take of the day. It's a Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. I've never felt so alive until now. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. It is my Friday. Wrapping up the Crowley Show. I'm off the next couple of days, and in not that long a time, I'm going to be wiping the floor with Stan Saverin and Mark Madden and Mike Pursuta and Tim Benz, the great Pittsburgh sports debate. Hell, maybe we've started. Doors open at 6.30. Maybe this segment's taped. You don't know. You don't know if it's live or not. Only I know. And Tom knows. And you might have figured it out. 412-922-2874. Tweet me. At underscore Adam Crowley. Keith tweets... Bored today, watching the Pirates. Typical stuff. No hustle by Marte and Polanco. Isn't that just typical Marte and Polanco? Not hustling in spring training games. I've got no patience for them. Keith, why are you watching a Pirates preseason game? Spring training. Uh, What the hell's wrong with you, man? I appreciate you reaching out, but I've got no time for that in my life. Hell, I don't know if I'm going to watch a Pirates regular season game this year. Hell, I don't know if anybody's going to watch a Pirates regular season game this year. Hell, they haven't sold any tickets to opening day. They're getting rid of all the dues. That's the one game every single year that they don't have problems selling out, and they're not going to sell it out this year. Doesn't look like it. I'm sure that station across the street's going to have a field day giving away tickets, but... If they don't give enough away, there are going to be some empty seats in the old ballpark. Nick tweets, good luck in your debate tonight. Let those skinny jeans out so you can breathe and think. Don't let Cheeseburger Madden wipe the floor with you. That is not a nice thing to say about Mark. You've been watching what he eats. Although my hope is that one day he fades into the sunset and I take his job. And I can get hurt on FM radio. And then I get a big paycheck. I'm not saying I want anything bad to happen to him. I'm just saying maybe he'll say it's time. He'll hang up the old Hawaiian T-shirt and be done for good. Maybe I'll ask him about that tonight. I'll get to my Twitter polls, at underscore Adam Crowley. Chili for breakfast, nasty or a good choice? 54% of the audience say nasty. 46% say good choice. Tom, what do you think? That's pretty gross, man. What do you mean it's pretty gross? pretty gross. What do you eat for breakfast? I usually don't eat breakfast, honestly. Well, that's gross. I'm not a breakfast guy. That is the most important meal of the day. Like a granola bar in me if I'm on the go. But if I had to make breakfast, I love making just a quick cheese omelet. Just something Mm. quick. What do you put in your omelet? Just cheese. It's, It's a quick one. That's it? Just cheese? Well, not unlike if I have time to make one. Do you want to know, like, the Supreme omelet? Yes, if you have time to make a Supreme, what's in the Supreme? I mean, you got to put, like, maybe some mushrooms, some Mm -hmm. onions, some Mm -hmm. green peppers in there. Then you got to get some meat, maybe, like, a ham or a turkey, Mm. whatever you're feeling that day, you know? Mm. And then, of course, cheese. Cheese always has to be in there. Now, I had chili, which had onions and green peppers and meat and cheese. Did it have any eggs? I don't think it's that gross, Tom. Okay. What'd you have for lunch? Cheerios. Well, at least you're still getting a well-rounded day. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I woke up today and I worked out because I figured I'd be pounding a few beers at the Pittsburgh sports debate. And because of that, 
I wanted to make sure that the calories weren't going to stick, you know? But then after I worked out, I was like, I need to get some protein in me because I'm swole. And I ate some chili. And then in the afternoon, I realized that we had cereal, which I really would have rather had for breakfast. So I'm going to get everything I need, just not in the order in which it's recommended. Oh, boy. Another couple of votes in. 55% of the audience now saying nasty, where 45% are saying good choice. I do like the fact that 45% of the people are with me. In college, I used to eat all kind of crap for breakfast. Leftover Chinese food, pizza, ramen noodles, Texas toast, anything that you had that would help you survive. More times than not, washed it down with a cool Bud Light, the sponsor of tonight's great Pittsburgh sports debate. It is time for the hottest take of the day. It's time for the hottest take of the day. I don't know if this counts as a hot take, but it is a take nonetheless. If you play sports on TV from noon till midnight, no matter the sport, it's going to be a big deal. And I think we all get caught up in college basketball. Me, especially because I love college basketball. Tom likes college basketball. No, I love college basketball. Don't slander me like that. Did I say like? You said like. I'm sorry. I love it. I didn't mean to put you I down below me. I can't get enough of it. I didn't mean to put you below me there. Tom only likes it. He likes it as a friend. I love it. I would like to propose to college basketball. In fact, I would like to bend college. Never mind. Make a sweet love to college basketball. I think that the majority of the country, though, doesn't care what sport is on TV as long as there's a lot of it and as long as there's drama. And I think from noon until midnight, the next couple of days, people are going to watch college basketball, not because it's college basketball, but because they like drama and because they like sports. That's all it's about. It's not about the sport itself. It's about the single elimination tournament. It's about the event. And I think other major sports should learn from college basketball. I think that, and here's where the hot take comes in. In the NBA, best of three series. NHL, best of three series. MLB, best of three series. Make the drama from the start. What's the best thing about the postseason in any sport? Game seven, single elimination. Why is this tournament so awesome? Because you get beat by a Bucknell team that's shooting 75% from three in your Duke, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what's fabulous about it. I love the fact that it's single elimination. I love the fact that it comes down to one game for every team in the country who is worth a damn, and that is badass to me. So, NBA, make it a best of three. I thought you said this wasn't a hot hot take at all. This is like one of the hottest takes you've ever given since we started doing hottest take of the day. Well, the hot take sort of forms. This is like cowherd, greeny level stuff. Like, Mike Greenberg rules changes to sports. Greenberg's the least this is hot, hot take this is capable radio host of all time. Okay, he's milk toast. Hey, he's not worse than Trey Wingo though. I know I shouldn't crush the morning show. You want another hot take? Yeah, give it to me. Golic and Wingo is awful. Haven't listened to his. Oh, second it's of atrocious. It. I flipped it on today, and they had Chris Canty on with Trey Wingo, and that's fine. Chris Canty's fine, but everyone who's on that show is just fine. I, I like Golic. He's well spoken. He's a good former athlete, but eh. Greenberg was never given piping hot takes. 
Trey Wingo never gives piping hot takes, and he's always inserting his opinion into the conversation and interrupting everyone else and trying to make these funny jokes that aren't even funny at all. Wingo. They're our morning show. You should listen to them. 6 until 10, ESPN Pittsburgh. But I think that the more that athletics transition to closer to single elimination, the better. The NFL's got it right. I think that college basketball and the NFL have the best playoffs. Now, the NHL is great because it's a grind and it gives you something to talk about other than Pirates baseball for four months, seemingly. But Game 7s are what it's all about. This last year, when the Penguins went to Game 7 against the Washington Capitals, your heart's in your chest. It's in your throat. You're so freaking nervous. Then the next game against Ottawa's Game 1, you don't feel the intensity anywhere near as much, even though it was the conference final. I'm just saying... I realize it would hurt in terms of money, and that's all that matters. But if you want what's most compelling, three games. I get what you're saying there, but don't you think that how you said college basketball in the NFL might be the most exciting playoffs because it is single elimination? Don't you think the seven-game series format is a better way to determine who truly is the better team in that sport? I don't care about that. You don't? Absolutely not. All right? The best way you want to, chaos. The best way to determine a champion, if you really want to do it, is in baseball, if you play 162 games, the team with the best record is the best team. They do it in the EPL, nobody bitches about it. Major League Baseball, you play 162 or something, if you're the best team with the best record, that's the best team. What's the EPL? European Premier League. I thought, is is that soccer? Soccer. I thought you were talking sports. More popular than any sport we've got over here. Take of the day, 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 day. <laughs> Woo! Other crap. I give hot takes all the time, but more times than not, I do so sarcastically. We like to make fun of sports radio hosts that take themselves too seriously, like Don LaGreca. From ESPN 98.7 in New York City. And I'm going to call you out, Michael, because I think Peter has the guts. I at least have the guts to step into the ring. I have an I, opinion going up against I, the whole thing. I, I, I disagree with I disagree. And I went into the ring. Right. You wouldn't have done it. I'd be like, right, Bill, you're right. Let's move on to no, another no, question. No, no. I stepped into the ring. I, I firmly. This garbage. <laughs> Look at this garbage. Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's freaking embarrassing. Exactly. Embarrassing. <laughs> he's telling me to fix the mic? Is that what he's doing, Peter? I, I got to tell you, in all my years, never seen anything like that. The whole... Shut the hell up, Rosenberg. How fast get a replay of that? Because his mic completely fell apart. Right. It fell into his hands. Right. So that's Don LaGreca flipping out and then breaking the microphone and then running out of the studio screaming, fix it. I cannot stand how seriously these guys take themselves. I know I host a sports show. I know it's not as big as Don LaGreca's sports show. We'll see where it goes one day. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll be a national guy, LaGreca. But LaGreca takes himself so damn seriously, he gets so fired up about who's going to bat eight for the Yankees today, and he works himself into a tizzy over a microphone breaking. It's just he's a cliched caricature of what people think sports talk radio is, and he gives the rest of us a bad name. Woo! 
other crap. Boing. Guys like that don't like guys like this. Steven Adams from the Oklahoma City Thunder was asked about an injury that he suffered during last night's game, and he had a little fun with the media. I feel good, man. Both okay, so thanks for that. What prompted leaving? Pardon? What prompted leaving the game? No, just the Australopithecus afferensis. So you going tomorrow night? Yeah. Will you go tomorrow night? Yeah, we'll see, man. Day by day until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Can you uh, can you describe the injury in layman's terms? Pardon? Can you describe the injury in layman's terms? No, 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 you search it up. Australopithecus afferensis. That's what it is. What that actually means is not an injury, no, but it's the first primate to walk upright with two legs. That's a dude just having fun with things. Steven Adams doesn't take himself too seriously. I like guys who understand that they're just playing sports or talking about sports for a living. Don LaGreca doesn't do that at all. He takes everything uber seriously, and that's why he's a jackass. It's been 391 days since Pitt basketball has won a conference game. You'll never find me taking myself too seriously. Never happens. Not who I am. Tonight, though, I'm going to melt the faces off of Stan Saverin, Mark Madden, Tim Benz, and Mike Pursuta. I'm going to spit such hot fire that they're going to have to wear a blast shield. And then I'm off until Monday, bitches. We'll be talking about my Mountaineers in the Sweet 16. Myth, y'all. Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who?